Welcome to the Rugby League Your Own Podcast. Welcome to episode four of the Rugby League Europe Podcast. My name's Lee Addison. I'm alongside my psychic, Carlo Napolitano. How are you, mate? Yeah, very good, buddy. How's yourself? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. There is a slight problem, though. I'm currently in isolation. I had to get a cold test today. Isolate. <laughs> it's more of a precautionary measure. I was in Sydney not so long ago. Um, I actually interviewed Mark Pullen um, from Serbia in Sydney while I was down in Sydney. And viewers could mm-hmm. probably tell the slight difference in the uh, microphone usage and Literally today, as we're recording this, where I was near near there has been declared a hotspot, and my doctor suggested I get tested, so I'm in isolation. Um, On the subject of Mark Pullen, mate, um, I butchered his name, didn't I? I called him something else, and I think you did the same thing with Dave Hunter. (laughs) Well, come on, let's just have it right. We're not known for our English (laughs) language here on the Rugby League Europe podcast. Um, Yeah, mate, I I messed up a few times. I I think uh, I call him Dave, uh, sorry, Dean Hunter instead of Dave Hunter. But uh, listen, I think both interviews were really well, uh, went down really well, and it was really well received. So it, it seems like it was a, it was a good, a good week last week, mate. Um, I'll just do the boring stuff before we start. If people want to tweet us, the R L E podcast, um, the T, the R, the L, the E, and the P are all capitals. So it's at the R L E podcast on Twitter. All lowercase on Instagram, at the RLE Podcast, and Facebook, Rugby League Europe Podcast. Carlo, we did promise our listeners last week that we were going to hear your story of your time and why you left the Italian job, so your time as the Italian coach and why you ended up leaving. Um, But because we're so jammed this week, um, there's been some things happened this week, we're just going to push that back a couple of weeks, and uh, but we'll definitely get it in, mate. So, listeners, you'll just have to wait a little bit longer for Carlo to answer his own curly question about why he left the Italian job and the story of the Italian job. Sounds like a movie, doesn't it? The Italian coaching job. Um, But what you will get this week on episode four of the Rugby League Europe podcast, coming up soon, Dean Buchan, one of the organisers of the Euro 13s, and we're going to ask him some of the questions that you sent through on our social media channels. We've incorporated them into our interview questions for this week's episode. But before that, we're going to talk about the postponed and cancelled European Championships. Part of it was postponed, part of it was cancelled. I wonder what you think about this, Carlo, as the former Italy coach. On the 10th of July, the Rugby League European Federation cancelled this year's proposed European Championships and blamed COVID. They didn't postpone it, they cancelled it. Italy and Spain were due for the first time to join France, Wales, Scotland, Ireland in Tier A with Tier B, C and D featuring several other emerging nations. Um, in a minute, I can give my, my sort of own opinions as the head of performance for Spain, but straight away, what's your gut instinct, mate, about that? Euro Championship cancelled. Well... <sighs> I don't. Do you know what? It's a bit difficult. It's a bit difficult because I think, at the moment, in, in certain countries, that the, the COVID pandemic is, is is affecting a lot of people in in different ways, and sport, in a way, you know, is secondary to that to that 
to that safety concern. As a point of development, I think it's really important uh, that we, we we play these games. But um, you know, people's safety comes first. So if they are turning around and saying it's because of COVID, you know, probably lean towards that. But it's it's a, it is a disappointment. Well, I've got some concerns with uh, the statement that they sent out because they also said that some countries may play bilateral games. Now, that suggests to me that because the Ashes was can- was cancelled, maybe England haven't got a fixture. If they end up playing Wales, what does a country like Spain or Italy do for all the sponsorships that they've lost? Um, you know, I-, I-, I know from a Spanish point of view that we had some sponsorships lined up based on us playing in a, in a European Championships. So what's the difference from a COVID point of view of bilateral matches and, and Euros? Um, and I also believe that the meetings originally, the problems with the Euros were based around player welfare because Super League and Championship players wouldn't have been playing much rugby league. Then all of a sudden it became about COVID. So what I want to know, Carlo, is um, mm. how come COVID affects the European Championships? Yeah, It doesn't affect Ireland or Wales having a domestic football comp. doesn't affect Spain who are going to play a state of origin. And it doesn't affect bilateral matches. I've got a problem with that. Um, yeah, but I suppose, mate, airports, would you go in an airport right now? Oh, I did, you know, I did last week. That's why I'm on No, but I, I just think, I think it's it's the whole logistics moving from country to country. Probably, um, mate, we don't know where this is going. I, I understand your, your point, mm. but I think we've got no clear... Direction in where this pandemic is going to go and what where you know where it's going to end. So planning is a bit of a pain in the bum, especially in con- I think it, internally in, in your own country, it's not too bad. But I think once you start traveling and taking people out, and if something does happen, mate, you know, is it, it will, it's all right saying it's it's going to be fine, and if it is fine, it, it's cool. But it's when something it's when something occurs or someone loses their life because of it. Then questions are asked, aren't they? You're only you're only as strong as the weakest link. So, yeah, from a rugby league point of view and a rugby league fan, of course, I want to see rugby league uh, internationally, and I want to see these these nations play against each other. But also, as a person, you, you want to yeah, you want to make sure everyone's safe. I just want to nail out from a, for all the listeners what this does for a country like a Spain, like an Italy, like a Poland. Who I used to be coach of, so on and so forth. Spain yeah. is set to lose commercial revenue in the vicinity of twelve to fifteen thousand euros, yeah. um, because, like I say, there, there was sponsorship attached to playing in the euros plus uh, RLEF funding to play in the tournament. And there's been no, to my knowledge, there's been no reduced funding offered. The other thing is, as a coach and as a performance director of Spain, I'm worried about the players and the coaches. Where's their carrot? Where's their motivation? Um, one minute you're talking to about the players playing in the European Championships, the next we're now scratching around trying to find some kind of fixture because we're allowed to play bilateral. That does have a have a motivational yeah. effect on players. And don't forget, we're in a we're in a place where we're trying to get people to play rugby league. We're trying to encourage them. I'm sure, based on our conversation last week with Mark Pullen, they would love to have a carrot so that he didn't have to play two games for Ser- for a Serbian yeah, club. No, no, no I, I don't disagree, mate. I don't disagree. Mm. I think, you know, um, like you like you said, if you don't play international, you don't have a carrot. It's a part mm. of the conveyor belt, mm. whether whether it's club, 
representative um, state of origin, as you may call it, or or it's uh, county versus county, or it's or, or it's international. There has to be a development, a play development from from standard, from low standard to high standard. And if you haven't got that carrot, then it, it, it it's, it's hard for your development. You know, you want to see people uh, improving. Uh, also, your administration. It's it's a it's time for your logistics and and to get that right from a management point of view and logistic point of view. So. Um, yeah, listen, it's it's never easy when people stop playing. But again, commercially, when you've got sponsors on board, you've got to remember international, you might only have four games a year. Yeah. It's not like you're playing every week. So, you know, what do you do? Do you give that money back? You know, begrudgingly, <laughs> you know, giving it back. But the fact of the matter is you, 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 can't, you can't really take it if you've got no product. The talking of carrots and playing... Uh, motivation. I think the Euro 13s tournament has been one of those. The overwhelming mm. positivity has come from players and coaches of different clubs. I'm just going to give a little, if you like, a monologue, Carlo. And if you mm. can give me any sort of sounds to, you know, if it sounds a bit juicy, go, ooh. If it sounds interesting, ooh. go, ooh. Uh, and just let me know what you think. Um, I'm going to sort of read through it in a chronological order because we're soon going to get our guest on Dean Book and one of the organisers of the Euro 13s. May the 4th is Star Wars Day. May the 13th is Euro 13s Day because that's when Uh, it all happened. Hang on, calm down, Carlo. You can't do them after everything I say. (laughs) The... um, uh, I think they did it on purpose too. They wanted to come out on the 13th because of the 13th. Uh, May the 13th, Euro 13s was launched on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and the like. On that same day, the Rugby League European Federation released that they were planning their own competition and that the Euro 13s group is not sanctioned by the governing body, quote. However, the RLAF has already invited those behind the proposal to formally present to their working group. Um. On the website, Rugby League Hub, on the same day, Steve Mascord, a great journalist who I work with on Rugby League Hub, wrote that a new rebellion surfaced in Rugby League Rebels. There's another link to Star Wars. The Euro (laughs) 13th gradually released news of teams that they'd entered into the tournament from all over Europe. Then on the 21st of May, the European Federation issued a short statement saying that they had made direct contact with key personnel from the proposed Euro 13 group. I don't know why they took so long. I mean, it didn't take us long to get hold of Dean Buckland for this afternoon, for this interview to come after this. On mm. the 16th of June, Birmingham was announced as a draft location. And then the biggest blow-up, Carlo, came after a Birmingham team were announced. Birmingham Jaguars were the team and... Um, they were used to be known as the Worcester Jaguars. Uh, on the 21st of June, Alan Robinson, the owner, director of Coventry uh, Bears, director of rugby, should I say, uh, did a tweet saying a new club called Birmingham Jaguars, who yesterday were called Worcester Jaguars, who have yet to play an adult game, have been accepted into a competition not sanctioned by uh, European Federation or the RFL yet. Brum Bulldogs, so that'd be Birmingham Bulldogs, have been flying the flag since the 80s. Hashtag many questions. Can I have a sound, please, Carlo? Oh. And then in a Twitter storm, it was quite entertaining, I'm going to be honest. Alan Robinson asked Dean Buchan, what do you know about growing the game? Who are you, by the way? Never heard of you. (laughs) He also suggested Buchan must be a wizard for making a club spring out of the ground and also told him 
that sticking a pin in a map is not expansion. On the 22nd of June, Alan Robinson said, there's a right way and a wrong way, and the right way is to work with others and the RFL. Can I have a sound, please, Carlo? <laughs> but what confused me, mate, is on the 3rd of June, so going back a few weeks, Alan Robinson actually came out of support of the Dublin Blues, um, wished them good luck, and all involved good luck. So it seems that his attitude changed once it became... Oh Jesus! I, I do you know what I think. Sometimes, if you if you're a president of a, of a club or this, that, and the other, you know, I, I slap you on the back and I say, "Well done," but that doesn't make you the custodian of the game or the vessel which is rugby league. You know, the the, the sport will be here long before you go. Either you know, I just think uh, no one. If they come up with a good idea, we should support that idea. Okay, like if it if it's if it's actually presented well and it looks well and the the numbers stack up. Who, who cares? You know, there's going to be a few little failures here and there. We don't, it's dead easy for us to jump on the back of negativity where it takes, you know, it, it's better to be positive. And at the moment, I don't care what anyone says, our game is struggling. Yeah. Both financially and in participation, our game is struggling. I have no, no desired effects. I have no false sense of security. Our game is struggling. You know, soccer, football, is is getting bigger and bigger and our our participation in our sport is dwindling. So when people put good ideas forward, you know, yeah, you're entitled to your opinion. But please come on, let's 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 be smart and let's support these good ideas and, and at least give them a little breath of air instead uh, of just knocking them down. Amen to that, Carlo. And it's funny that on the twenty second of June, the RLAF announced that under their articles they realised they had no powers to stop the Euro 13 from proceeding. So from weeks earlier saying that they didn't sanction it, they then realised they didn't have the power to sanction it. And the the last tweet I want to sort of mention was from a journalist called Trevor Hunt. Um, it was actually a friend of mine who called it a, break, a, yeah, yeah, uh, a breakaway that at best is... Sorry, he called Euro 13s a breakaway that at best is an ambitious project with no quality or financial standing, and at worst, one that will undermine the hard work of so many in pioneering rugby league. And that, Carlo, is a perfect segue for me to introduce our next guest. I have on the line Dean Buchan, organiser of Euro 13s. Um, you may or may not have heard what we've just said there with regards to the backstory to Euro 13s, Dean. So the questions on everyone's lips are... Who are you? What do you know about developing rugby league? Are you a wizard? And is your project with the Euro 13s an ambitious one with no quality or financial standing? So sorry to put you on the spot. I'm not really. Answer that. Right, where do I start? Well, look, first of all, I'm not a wizard. Uh, I don't have a hat. Um, and I never went to Hogwarts school. Um, but, you know, I am a co-organiser of Euro 13s. I think that's really important to emphasise. So... It's myself, it's Tiziano Francini, um, as you both know, and Orazio Daro. So, you know, what is, what is our merits in terms of organising a competition of this kind of magnitude? Well, both of you know that Tiziano's nickname is Mr Rugby League. Tiziano's been involved at every level um, of Rugby League as a player, as administrator. He was one of the founding members of the RLEF. Um, he's the VP of the FURL, the Italian Rugby League, and he's worked on a number of projects with the RLEF and the IRL. 
Um, so I think in terms of developing rugby league, we couldn't have a better ambassador than Tiziano. Mm. Um, and we've paired for t- with Tiziano for that reason. And then we've taken myself and Orazio. Orazio has taken Italy to three World Cups. He was brought in in 2013 to um, restructure Italian rugby league um, and solve some problems that were there. Um, and then you've got myself who comes from a more biz- traditional business background. Um, and the mixture of that is what makes us absolutely confident we can deliver this tournament. So can can I just can I just ask there, Dean? Just how does how does the discussion of having a convers uh, having a competition like this start and get to a point where you are actually now delivering? Okay, so um, I think it's pretty well established how the concept of Euro 13s came about. It came about because of my involvement with Valencia Hurricanes, um, and as I was speaking to federations and to clubs. I stumbled across Tiziano and Orazio, as well as many other people who are working on this project now. Um, mm-hmm. And it was clear that we we had a shared vision, uh, but it was also clear that it's not just rugby league people who can take rugby league forward. It's the balance of the two. So you do need the business side and you do need the rugby league side, the experience. And it's the blend of those two um, that we have in all three founders. Um, so it became logical just to go forward uh, as a team um, and then we've been able to put certain things in place so you know you'll have me acting as general manager uh, who's taking the lead on maybe the sponsorship and things like that and the commercial side Um, and then you've got someone like Tiziano and Orazio uh, looking after the administration and the governance side um, of the competition Um, so everybody working to their strengths basically Carlo Dean, you're, um, you know, there's players coming from drafts in in Brisbane and which couldn't be further away from from Europe, really, I suppose. Um, and you've got players and clubs coming from everywhere. Where's all this money coming from? Are you you must be a wizard, or you've got a magic money tree somewhere. Okay, so um, very unpopular answer sometimes in rugby league circles is yes, we have private investment. Mm. Okay, we have private investment because, quite frankly there isn't the money in the current rugby league structures. The RLF don't have it, the IRL don't have it, the clubs themselves don't have it, and the national bodies don't have it. So if we want to bring something like this about, then yes, we need private funding. What we've done in Euro 13s is we've got a balance of the private funding and government support. Um, So it's not a surprise why we're putting the semi-finals and the finals in Valencia because we've been offered funding to do that. Um, But also, let's actually talk about what type of competition we're doing, when it is, and how long it lasts, so we can understand exactly what funds we would need. The competition is in February and March, low season. It's a six-week-long competition. We're not talking about a year-long competition with 200 matches here. We have... Um, eight matches that goes to four matches that goes to two matches that goes to a final Um, Mm. it's actually quite modest budgets I'm not going to tell you what those budgets are but yes we've completely costed this competition we've allowed an error a margin of error and we've deliberately put it at a time when it would be cheapest to do the competition and not Mm. affect the domestic leagues at the same time not bad 
the the one question I've got is there's a lot of moving parts in this. You know, I was I was talking to Lee off air uh, some time ago about how many little turning circles there is in order to get the big watch moving. Um, one of one of the main factors is how do you get the national governing bodies involved? You know, how do you get their uh, their well not their say but their buying basically to to, to a competition like this? Yeah, and that's the point because the way it's been pitched, we've been pitched as this rebellion who've gone and got a bunch of clubs who've upset all their bodies, who've upset the RLEF and upset the IRL. But it couldn't be further from the truth. We actually went to the national federations first. Um, yeah, we invited clubs um, from anywhere to apply. But if you actually look at the 16 teams who are in the competition, every single one of them has had to get permission from their national governing body to be allowed mm -hmm. to come into this competition. And when we were releasing teams, you probably saw that most of those um, governing bodies put messages of support into those videos. So how can it be pitched as a rebellion? How can it be pitched as some outside movement when we have all those national governing bodies saying, this is fantastic and we, we support it? Mm -hmm. mm. And there is one or two. There is one. Sorry, or two. Yeah, there is one or two who, who, for whatever reasons, don't back it. You know, we had Serbia come out and say they yeah. banned their clubs from applying. Um, we don't have a French team, um, but in everywhere else, we've we've had support. You've got a few announcements, I believe, planned this week regarding the governance of the tournament. Um, in terms of refereeing and other logistics. And I think you've already touched a little bit in, in regards to working with other governing bodies. Can you tell us anything about the sort, sort of jurisdictions that you've got to work within in terms of where you're playing the game? So, for example, if you play a game in Sweden, what hoops do you have to jump through there? Okay, so look, the first thing is I've heard a lot about jurisdictions and whether, you know, I think somebody made the... I think it was Steve Mascord said something about right. could a... A team in Birmingham play a game in England with referees um, if the RFL don't support the competition. The RFL don't have a patent on rugby league. Neither, I was going to say that, yeah. Neither, yeah. neither does Spanish yeah. rugby league. If somebody wants to come to Spain, set up a club and play in a, I don't know, Turkish league, there's nothing we can do to stop them because we don't mm. have a patent. We own a the right to govern competitions that we form. It's the same for the RFL, it's the same for the ARL, it's the same for the yeah. Italian, the Greeks, the Swedish, whatever. However, but things do work when people work together. And again, there's been this, uh, this idea pushed forward that we're not working with anyone, but we're working with all those federations, we're working with all those clubs. Um, and so, you know, in the same way that Bala is completely separate to the RFL, or any school kids playing their, their school leagues and community leagues without the jurisdiction of the RFL or without the ju jurisdiction of the ARL. Well, in the same way, anyone can do the same. If you want to put a game on in any country with, and send a referee and have two teams play, that's nobody's business. <laughs> well, <laughs> Be careful, Dean. You, you, you do. Everybody doing it. <laughs> yeah, but it, it becomes within reason because you, you've got to be affiliated. I think affiliation, you know, you have to 
you have to form a governing body and therefore if you want to play under them rules you have to be affiliated to that league and that's how you know that's how the game's played everyone has a, a national governing body because they need a set of rules and regulations to adhere to in order to be safe and protected and uh, play the game you know in the right manner and i think there is nothing stopping a european or euro 13s uh, committee coming together and creating their own competition as long as they've got the rules regulations and the affiliations and and the buying from the uh, the national governing bodies just on that though is how how I've heard a lot of stories. I've heard stories, uh, which is quite frankly off-putting in my eyes, that you've got a bad relationship with the RLEF, then I hear someone else say that you've got a good relationship with the RLEF. My own opinion is this this type of competition has been talking about by the RLEF when I was involved with it some time ago, and it never got off the ground. And here we have three people who just put a positive mindset together and created this competition instead of just talking about it, which I think is completely refreshing. But what is your relationship with the Rugby League European Federation? Is it on board? Is it off board? How are conversations going with them? Because, you know, it's very confusing out there. Yeah, well, let me just take a step back because you mentioned governance, okay? So, yeah, we will have our own governance. That's what Tiziano is heading up. You saw yesterday... Uh, or maybe you didn't see yesterday that we put out um, an announcement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Referee educator, we have a head of referees, we have a head of discipline. Uh, this morning we put something out about the two lawyers who are joining the governance team in, in Panos and Daniel. Um, and they are ex- all of those people are experienced people in their field. Uh, Tiziano too. You're going to see in the next <clears throat> week or so more and more um, roles being padded out so it's clear that there is a, a key focus on governance, but good governance um, and good policy, you know, because you've got bite sounds like development, governance, but it doesn't mean anything unless you put something in place. Okay, so I just want to address that. The second thing, what is our relationship with the RLEF? Our relationship with the RLEF is, I think, is positive. Um, as far as I'm aware right now, they're not against this competition. We continue to engage with them. Um, what people assume is just because you don't find an agreement, you're enemies, or because you're working, because you don't publicize what you're talking about, there's a problem. But actually, um, I think right now the situation with the RLEF, I think they're very comfortable with it. I think we're very comfortable with it. Will we end up working with them? I can't say for certainty uh, that we will. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean that we're against each other. And just to be clear, you know, I'm the I'm the the head of Spanish rugby league, as obviously Lee knows. I work with Lee there, and we have no issues with the RLEF from a Spanish federation point of view. It's just that we've done a competition, um, and um, we may or may not work with the RLEF, but we will be. I think you've also got. Bodies. So you've got. I think you've also got, you know, it seems you're very business savvy, Dean, if you don't mind me saying. And I think, you know, the funding aspect of it is something that's really difficult from the European Federation. I know from my days, it's it's always been a contentious issue is where's the money coming from? How do they fund domestic competitions? And it's just why the game hasn't developed, in all fairness. like There's probably 100,000 different problems. However, money is always at the top of them. 
And it's one that you can't you can't develop a sport without it. You can't uh, run a domestic competition without it, and you can't run any competition without money. And the fact of the matter is that it just seems that the European Federation never has any money. Look, I can't comment on why they don't have any money or what you know what the potential hurdles are for them. All I can do is comment on our competition. And, and I can tell you that what me, Orazio and Tiziano put in place before we started accepting applications is we funded what the competition would cost in 2021. Um, we went and got uh, funding and government support for that. That's now in place. Mm-hmm. 2021 is not in under any danger from a financial aspect of not going ahead. But is 2022? Yes, because me, Orazio and Tiziano and the rest of the team need to put on a successful competition successful not just from a playing standard but also from a commercial standard because obviously our backers our investors are not going to be so happy if we put on a competition that loses money and they're not going to be willing to do it in 2022 so yeah we are actually on tiziano do have pressure on ourselves to deliver a um a, a very successful tournament that then can be repeated in 22 23 24 25 Dean, um, if you listen to some people on Twitter, you won't be getting many Christmas cards from Birmingham <laughs> uh, in, in the next time Christmas comes around, but you might be getting some Christmas cards from half of Birmingham. Can you tell us your side of the story with regards to the whole Birmingham Jaguars, Worcestershire Jaguars thing? I've briefed all the listeners prior to you coming on here. Okay, so um, you'd have to speak to Birmingham Jaguars for clarification on this, but, you know, when when we started taking applications from from everywhere, we had five applications from England, uh, one from the Heartlands, uh, one from the Midlands, and, and three down south. Mm. Immediately, Worcester Jaguars made an application as Birmingham Jaguars, which sounded a little bit strange to us until we spoke to them and they explained that their intention was always to have Birmingham Jaguars set up as a team. So... Um, if I'm correct, there's Worcester Jaguars and there's Droitwich Jaguars, which is part of, of that group. Um, and so they never applied for our competition as Worcester Jaguars. It was always as Birmingham Jaguars. Um, we then looked at their application on merits. Um, the the Jaguars family, if we're going to call them, they, they've been, they have a development system. They have a Tier 3 academy, which a lot of professional clubs don't have. Um, I think they've got the only academy in, in the Midlands. Um, and they have, um, they have England Talent Pathway accreditation. It was quite a strong application. Um, and we took the decision that it was good for the sport um, to accept an application from Birmingham Jaguars. Mm-hmm. Now, it seems that people have said, oh, the club was formed one day and um, the next day they were accepted into the competition. But obviously, there would be certain things that they would need to set up if they were accepted into our competition. I think that's maybe where the confusion lies. But have no that's, that's why you were called a wizard, wasn't it? Because of that perception. Yeah, but we have no hand. We have no ownership of any of these clubs. Obviously, I, I am the owner and founder of Valencia Recanis. That's the exception. Everybody knows about that. But any of the other clubs is, is nothing to do with, with me. Certainly, Birmingham Jaguars is, is a completely separate entity. Um, yeah. And, you know, I don't really think it's much of a problem. I would have thought that people in the, in the region might be thanking us for kind of shining a light on rugby league in the area. 
<laughs> That's not how it works. <laughs> yeah. Frustrating. Oh well, I think people I think people get jealous, don't they? I think um, again, I see all the good work, and I just think I think it's amazing from a rugby league um, former administrator, former coach, and and, and it just loves the game. I, I just think it's exciting, and but, you know, I'm. But let me just. I just can't wait for right, it. Let me just add something. Birmingham Jaguars are not the only club to create a version of their club for the European tournament. So look, Dublin Blues. Um, will play as Dublin Exiles in the Irish League and Dublin Blues in Europe. Okay? Um, everybody was supportive mm. of that, even the people in the Midlands. Um, Anadolu from Turkey in, in Istanbul, it was the Turkish Federation who decided that they wanted to form a special club for European participation in Euro 13s. Not one person has criticised that. The only criticism came where, from people in the Midlands when a Midlands club was announced. Bizarre, mate. It's bizarre. So, you know, my, my point is, would they have criticised it if we'd have put one down in, I don't know, Southampton or, or Reading or, or Gloucester? Oh, Probably not. Just, uh, just quickly, Dean, you've already mentioned February and March for this tournament. Future tournaments on the question of timescales, I mean, if you did a tournament in 2021, 2022, what would they look like? Um, yeah, so we've got the, we've got the ambition. Uh, to turn this from a cup competition into a league and cup format for 2022. Um, obviously, we've got to deliver 2021 uh, because um, that's what will give our investors confidence that we that we can do what we're saying we're going to do. Um, and to a large degree, you know, anyone who's slightly negative about what we're doing or they they're a little bit dubious, you know, we'll, we'll know in eight months, won't we? That's right. Yeah, we're not talking well, but still, about four years' time. In eight months' time, we'll know. We'll deliver it, and then obviously, if if it's successful, um, then it will continue in in twenty twenty two and onwards. And obviously, you know, the, the people who believe it's all um, garbage and dross and, and etc. Well, in eight months, we'll know. The the good thing about it, Dean, is you need a start point. You know, you don't jump from the first step to the top of the stairs. You take one step at a time. And I think this, I, I actually think it's, a, it's really refreshing. It's something that's needed. Um, and I think it's going to be very, very exciting. Uh, I can't see it being a failure. I can see it only being a positive manner. And the way that you you and your, your team are actually on Tiziano are all dealing with it is like, we'll, we'll just break off a little bit first and then we'll, we'll move. Uh, we'll try and make it larger and bigger each year as it goes on, which is very smart. And that's what I think um, commercial partners want. So, you know, obviously when we went to invest yeah. and we started talking to sponsors, commercial partners and sponsors, what they don't want you to do is to start a new format competition with a, uh, 20 game season for each club all across Europe because it's very difficult for a broadcaster to do a buy-in on that. It's very difficult for a commercial partner to come into a new concept that, they, that isn't proven in any capacity. They don't want to get involved in that. And so this is why we've deliberately made a bite-sized competition in 2021, because that's what commercial partners want. That's what broadcast partners want. And maybe that's the reason why people haven't been able to do it before, because they've been thinking too big too quickly. Yeah. It's not a competition that needs 10 million euros to start. It's a competition that needs yeah. a modest amount of money. It's done and dusted in six weeks. The concept is proven. 
or not. And afterwards, we then can make bigger plans for 2022 and expand the competition. Um, and that's just good business sense. If people don't like that, I'm sorry. Well, I think it's uh, amazing. I think one, one part, another part of why it makes it so amazing is that uh, the Euro 13s will involve a draft player system, which is uh, extremely new to the rugby league sector. Um, I, I just think this is really refreshing if we can get it right. Um, what's, what, what, what do you think? How do you think it's going to unfold? Um, what's the kind of system so that people can be kind of expecting? Okay, so look, the draft system, I think, you know, some people don't like it because they say it's Americanizing a sport, they say it's a gimmick, um, but it's absolutely needed for this European competition. You've got uh, 16 teams from 16 countries. You know, if you take Moldova, for example, that's a brand new team who wasn't playing rugby league, um, who, who are starting to play rugby league for this competition, okay? So you can't expect them to be the same level as Ronda Outlaws, for example. So if we're not careful and we don't put a draft system in place, what's going to happen is we're going to have a hundred nil scorelines, which does nothing for the sport. Mm, yeah, I agree. Dean of Euro 13, thanks so much for answering those questions in a very candid and clear way. You didn't shirk it from any of the curly questions, Carlo's curly questions, we like to call them. Thanks so much. All the best for Euro 13s. As you know, myself and Carlo come down on the positive and supportive side there. And uh, we'll keep an eye on it. Mate, we've unpacked some stuff today. I think, um, as I said to Dean, I think he answered those questions as well as he could. I think he comes up with a business perspective, mm. um, yeah. which isn't a crime. There's some people in rugby league seem to think that's a crime. He comes from a business perspective. I do, I do understand why people are a little bit worried about the finances because there's been so many things go wrong in rugby league. Yeah. In the past, Nathan Tinkler, for example, was a big money man at Newcastle and all of a sudden he didn't have any or whatever it was. So there's been a thousand promises in the past, but we surely we've got to be open to every opportunity and especially for a tournament that's going to last, what, six weeks? What's all the fuss about, mate? Yeah, I, I, do you know what? I think people get their nose out of joint when uh, the competition isn't theirs. Or they didn't come up with the, comp the, the concept. But this concept of a European domestic competition, I've said it a few times, it's been around since I was involved with Italy about 2011. You know, yeah. so it's been, it's, been, it's been there or thereabouts, but no one's had probably the balls or the nuts to actually get it going. And I <laughs> Is think. Is there a difference between balls and nuts, Carlo? <laughs> well, no. <laughs> Your nuts are next are on your neck. <laughs> but um you know, and I just you've got to take your hat off to someone like Dean, you know, he's 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 refreshing in my eyes. I think he's you know, he's coming here and, and like I know Arazio and Tiziano, and that's why you know I don't want to be biased towards that because I know them so well. But I think the fact of the matter is I don't know Dean, but I've got to know him through a few of the conversations we've had in and around this competition. And he just seems like a very smart individual. Like, and I think our game needs that, you know, mm. and it needs it needs people who are who are full of positivity. And it's just what I don't like is it's very easy to shoot someone down and you and you waste energy on it, or you can be positive and go, Do you know what? Um, I'm not entirely my opinion is I don't think it's right. But, you know, I'll give it a fair crack. I'll, I'll let them do what they can do and, and see how it goes. You know, you're only as good as your results. And I'll tell you what, it's not going to be a walk in the park. It's going to be failures. There's going to really, be some parts of it that fail. 
would really love for some people from the RLAF to come onto this show. So this is I'm I'm saying this now open on the show so that everyone can hear and me and Carl all will gladly hear you out and talk to you and certainly won't criticize us, but we'll ask some questions just like we did with Dean. And I think what stands out today, Carlo, and I'll end with this, is that we're talking about one competition collapsing, not happening, being cancelled, and that's called mm-hmm. the European something. And we're talking about another tournament that is well in the pipeline and new yeah. things come out every day. So I know I know where people's attention is going to be. Listen, Carlo, if people want to write to us, they can get to us on Twitter at the RLE podcast. The T, the R, the L and the P are all capitals. Are you a tweeter, Carlo? Will you have somebody who uh, Not a tweeter. I'm an Instagrammer and a Facebook. Well, they'll find you on there, the RLE podcast um, on Instagram. And Facebook, just type in Rugby League Europe uh, podcast. And you've also got to have a look at my Facebook page too, everyone, Rugby League Coach. And where can they find you, Carlo, on Facebook? Well, you can, yeah, you can just type Carlo Nap. Carlo uh, Nap. There's, a, find me there on there's, there's only one. At Carlo Nap. There's only one. There's no there only one. And Carlo, there's only one person who can sign us off from episode four of the Rugby League Europe podcast. Ciao ragazzi, ci vediamo dopo! See you all next week!